Good morning, Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. Thank you, Mr. Bobo, as always. We continue in our sermon series in Habakkuk. And last week we looked at Habakkuk's first complaint. There was injustice and evil behavior and mistreatment of the weak. And just plain degenerate ungodly behavior happening in God's nation. But more than the people, it was God who was the most scrutinized for what was going on. Habakkuk questioned, how could God let these things happen and keep happening among and around his people and appear to do nothing about it? Wasn't he God? Weren't they his, weren't those folk his people? Isn't, isn't God supposed to have a handle on evil and, and do something to stop it in the world and especially its oppression and pain in the lives of his people? Well, last week we saw that we could take relief in the fact that God could and was handling and confronting and dealing with evil, though they could not see him at work and in control. And surprise to Habakkuk, the the way God would not only show his sheer power over evil, but judge and correct and save his people from it, was through an even more evil people, right? God had raised up, was said he was raising up the the Chaldeans, the, the future Babylonians to invade his people, invade the nation and their lives to, to whip them into shape. And the fact that God would, would allow and introduce a, a foreign, malicious, ungodly to bring righteousness, salvation, and restoration that Habakkuk was answer, asking for seemed kind of counterintuitive to say the least. So basically Habakkuk gets what he wants. God's response and attention to the breakdown and brokenness and and messed up lives around him, but he takes issue with how God was going to do it through the Chaldeans. And so he questions or launches this complaint we read between verses 12 and 17. And in that complaint, right, he's basically saying that that it does not compute for you to be the holy God and we be your holy people and for us to be killed by the Chaldeans, even if we did wrong, because they are more wrong than we are. They don't even acknowledge you. Heck, they have no covenant relationship with with you like we have with you. And and you're going to bring them and use them as a tool of your holy correction and rebuke of your own people. I thought you couldn't even look at evil without destroying it. And you're going to let these fools get satisfaction for doing the wrong thing to your so-called righteous people? You, a good God, are going to let evil be the answer for our misdoings. And Habakkuk's like, I got to see how this is going to make sense. So chapter 2 says this, I will take my stand. Habakkuk says, on my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what God will say to me and what I will answer concerning 
my complaint. Basically, he, he goes to where he can see what was on the horizon. He went out to the city gates and one of the towers where, where people would go to see what enemies were coming toward him. Outside, he looked outside the city walls that he was, that, that to see literally what was coming, but symbolically as he waits on the defense of what God's answer to his concerns would be. Like him. We, you and me, are all in some way even by your attendance at church today, looking, looking for an answer from God for evil, for sin, for abuse, for addiction, for being trapped in some way, for, for the sadness that won't leave you, looking for some action or, or some explanation or, or some comfort from what is not going right in and outside of you. We, we are looking out from a place from a world, from families with lots of questions of why would God and why did God and why doesn't God and how could God have left this or let this or left me like this or let them or not let them get what they deserve or why after I prayed and asked for help, he still allowed this to happen. It doesn't make sense. It looks like I prayed for one thing and God came with a completely different thing. You and I, are looking from a broken place, a hurt place, an abused place, an oppressed, a frustrated and forgotten and surrounded by evil place, a confused place, a place that needs God's action and holiness and power on it. And the answer from God for our brokenness sometimes seems to just be more of the same. More problems, more time in the pit, if you will. More power, it seems, for the devil and the evil and all the sinful things and, and bad things and unjust things around so many of us, like Habakkuk, have taken a defensive stand against God. Our ability to trust him is, is on the edge, right? So our faith is hanging in the balance with, with all of the stuff God seems to let happen and ordain to take place in our world and our lives on top of the mess we are already in. And like him, Habakkuk, I, I promise as we go through God's response based on his observations, you and I, let me say this first of all, you and I may not like what God has to say. I didn't. Or, or, or like how he is going to help us. I promise it will be hard to hear and accept some of his stuff, especially some of the judgment stuff we're going to get to. Churches don't talk about that. This, I was studying one of the commentaries on, on this book, and someone says, people don't preach from this book. Why did I do it? I don't even like it. There are much better Bible verses and, and books to use. Why did I put myself in this mess? I've already started. Now I've got to finish. But I also promise that we can find rest in what I would describe as surrendered, hear me, surrendered relief in what God says about how and what he is doing. I promise, because God's word promises, that as you sit in the tower of defense and distrust of God, that God can and may, and for some of you will lay siege 
on your life. He will reach you. He will come over the walls of distrust and sin and hopefully by grace give you the ability to look and see and believe to not die but live on trusting and looking for him to look out for you. And we haven't even gotten to the hard stuff yet. But I promise, because God's word promised me as I read it, because I was kind of shaken and confused too. Now one thing that Habakkuk's complaint has right as a complaint is that God is holy. I need to get, over the, get through this first. That, that like we discovered last week, things are not right, but God is the Lord, and as Habakkuk describes him, the Holy One. And for that reason, this is what we can expect to see as we look out for God in the distance, right? In the darkness, in the distress, in the, oh, I didn't want that to be the answer, God. There are two things I'm going to share with you today. Look for God's imminent judgment. And secondly, look for God's imminent salvation. Imminent judgment. Imminent Salvation. I say eminent because when God answers Habakkuk, he says this in verse 2 of chapter 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It seems slow. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. He's saying, write down what I'm saying so that the one running by, driving on an interstate, can see the road sign. Make it big, make it plain, make it simple, make it easy. This is, this is going to happen. It's already happening. It just hadn't happened to you yet or happened in your time yet. For all you look out for, this is coming and it can't and it won't be stopped. Timing is irrelevant, right? Speed is secondary to this fact. And as you look for it from wherever you stand or live in whatever situation you and I may find ourselves in, it is saying be warned because his, God's judgment, is coming. But not how you might expect or want it. Because God's judgment comes by every means redeemed necessary. Every means redeemed necessary. I say redeemed necessary because God can use any means to judge and bring penalty and correction and punishment on sin by any means he sees fit and still remain completely holy and righteous. It is safe to say that if God uses it or does it, the thing he uses might not be righteous in and of itself. It could be downright vile, but it could be used completely for his holy and righteous purposes. Look back at verse 12 with me in chapter 1. And God, Habakkuk saying, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my holy one? You shall not die. Habakkuk rightly calls the Lord God and the Holy One. Holy One is actually holy twice, the, the holiest one, right? But Which ironically helps us understand how he uses an evil army to deal with his people in the next lines. Look at the second part of chapter 12. Oh, Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, right, the God we trust, have established them for reproof. Plain and simple, God can and does use 
all means at his disposal consequence. Natural causes, fire, wind, rain, the pride of human beings, letting folk be as bad as they want to be, letting folk gain power, letting evil and sin play out, letting evil terrorize and terrible countries rise up. He actually can redeem them, meaning that he takes what is bad about them and makes them and allows them to do his goodwill to penalize and correct this world and its people, not only on their sin, but to help them recognize and give honor to his holiness. I know it's hard to hear. It goes back to our Joseph sermon series that we just preached, where where he tells his brothers who sold him into slavery and got away with it, an evil act, that you meant it for evil. You were thinking evil. You thought you got away with it. You were happy I was gone. But guess what? God used it and ordained it for good. I know it's confusing because we're not God, we're people. So I'm trying to explain God's stuff to you people. He's God. I think we, when he says he's holy, I think we kind of, oh, yeah, he's holy, yeah, he's good and all that. No, holy means he's separate, which means he thinks in ways and does things we couldn't possibly do. I couldn't hire an evil mob hit squad and say, God, I'm doing it for the church because I'm not holy. I want you to understand your God, how holy he really is. In fact, Habakkuk accuses God of dragnet, rosewood-style judgment in verses 14 through 17. If you're old enough, you know what I mean by rosewood-style judgment. Rosewood, the movie, remember? They said a black man raped a white woman, and they went and got every black man they could and loaded them up. Yeah, this is what Habakkuk is accusing God of. You're just going through, grabbing whoever you can, using Chaldeans. You know they don't care who they see. They're going to cut everybody down just because they want to. Look what he says in verses 14. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Now, we only get one half of his response, God's response to Habakkuk's complaint. We'll get to the second half because God's going to deal with the dragnet people too next week's sermon. He is criticizing God without knowing, hear this, that he is doing a pretty good commentary on how God uses evil for his good. Don't we do that? We say things about God and you're like, yeah, you're right. We'd be mad. God did did this. You know what? That's kind of true. It's amazing. God is so different than you. When you complain about him, you end up being right. That's how different sometimes he is. Sometimes you're wrong a lot of times, though. But, but he is saying, Lord God, I don't want y'all to go off thinking you, you prophet or something, but saying, Lord God, my God, you let people who don't believe in you have what they believe is their way with the world. They get to think they are right and getting away with it. But God is correcting that by letting Habakkuk know that they might believe they are having their evil way in the world, but they are actually playing into and doing God's holy work of judgment and correction and glory to his name and for his people. And so as we look out at the world and at our lives, what do we see? And what may, we be, what may we be seeing in the evil let loose in this world and ours? 
We see mud sometimes, right? You just see a dust cloud, and, and that will be let loose on our world and ours. Definitely brokenness and injustice. We talked about that last week. We do see that, and those things are wrong. But know that God's judgment may come in and through and overcome and hijack the darkness, the uncertainty, the upheaval, and what looks and acts evil and wrong and backwards. We may be seeing and experiencing in your life and in consequence, and again, the natural causes and the unmet pride of human beings, God just letting people be as bad as they can want to be, to let people have the desires of their sinful hearts, to fill up and feed on in greed and gluttony, letting people get power and letting them think they're getting away with evil when God is making them and the rebellious world actually submit to his good and holy justice. That's how in control God is. And aside here, though, I need to say this. I don't know if some of you are out here like this. You think you're a little prophet or something. Okay? None of y'all's names is in this book. Now, you might have been named after somebody's name in this book. Your name might be Josephus Habakkuk whatever. Right? Zephaniah Habakkuk or Jeremiah Habakkuk. You might, be, you might have one of these names, but trust me, you, not because you can write this. Okay, so let me, let me correct something for some of you who think you little prophets. You turn on CNN. You turn, some of y'all turn on Fox. Some of y'all turn on CNBC. You put on your computer and you're looking at things in the news and you begin to prophesy, right? You begin to say, I know what God's doing. I'm going to tell you, this is true, but it becomes a problem. You know, it's true that God uses kind of the broken stuff in the world, all the crazy stuff going on historically to bring about his good uh, judgmental end. But, you know, the problem comes when these non-prophetic fools get on the radio or TV or in a book acting like a prophet and say, this is God's judgment on this for them and that sin. Nah, man, this is not where we should go with this. Be very careful. You know, oh, well, well, it's the Middle East people, and, and it's this people, and, and America's so good, and this country's so bad, and obviously we're God's nation, and they're the Chaldeans. And, you know, it really could be the other way. We don't know. You just think that way. It's not about the, excuse me, the specific details of when and how and exactly who or what God is using for correction, rebuke, and judgment. We just know it is happening in our world. And that the judgment of God is coming in and against our unjust, evil living. Let me say this. I'm with you. It is not pretty. But it's holy. But to add insult to Habakkuk's felt injury, God appears to be, his, be allowing the Chaldeans to judge everyone. Right? <laughs> without respect of being Jew or Gentile, right? So, so remember that Habakkuk asked for help in dealing with the Jews who are acting up and needing correction in his nation. But guess what? God says, look at these folk over here. Come, the Chaldeans rising up. Man, they have taken nation after nation out. And know who's next? You guys are next. And God's, I mean, Habakkuk said, wait a minute. You, I can see you taking that country over there out. They evil. And I can see you taking those people out, they evil. I can see you judging them with the child ears, but God's people, God, what you thinking, man? You're going to allow us to be judged according to the same measure, whether they have the rules of the Bible 
or not. And that's true. God is bringing judgment on the religious and irreligious. That's hard to hear. The means of judgment are the Chaldeans for Jew and Gentile alike. Because the holy standard is the same for Jew and Gentile. For temple worshiper and for idol worshiper. The standard for judgment is the same. Look with me. Look what he says back in chapter 12 again. Uh, I mean, verse 12, sorry, in chapter 1. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God? And he actually says, my holy one? He is saying, you never change. You are holy. Your status, you don't grade on the curve, Lord. You don't see people who are descendants of Abraham and say, oh, I'm a grade on a curve here. You don't do that. Your holiness, your, your standard. When I say grade on the curve, I mean you don't change. You don't lower your holiness because people are religious, right? He is saying you, you, you are holy. You can't stand for evil and not judge it, right? Look at the second half of verse 12. Oh, Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. Now, look what he says in verse 13. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and are silent when the wicked swallows up? The man more righteous than he. God is saying, I can't look at any kind of evil and ignore it. Even if you do evil with a Bible in your hand. Even if you do evil with a Jesus shirt on, it is unholy because I am holy, right? Well, the religious Bible readers who are obviously not trusting and believing in God are guilty of trespassing against the holiness, the same holy God, whether they have gone three steps to the right or 300 steps over the line. That's hard to hear because we think in terms of not so bad. God thinks in terms of holy, of holy perfection. He doesn't think in terms of, well, this one only, this one got a 99 and this one got a 70. So I, I, I'm with the 99 one. No, it don't work like that. When his holiness is 100% all the time holy. But we're playing this moral game that God's not playing. There are no moral victories in God's holiness. There aren't any. Well, I did pretty good, Lord. Nice. Fail. I tried. Good try. Or actually, when we look at some of the scripture, bad for trying to be holy enough. Fail. Lord, I did extra credit. Double fail. In the book of Romans in the New Testament, Apostle Paul, writing to primarily Jewish audience, says that whether you're a Bible follower or, or, or at every rule possible breaker, none of you are righteous and none any righteous than the other before God's holiness and judgment. And so judgment is intimate for the not so bad and really bad and really good person and not so good person. And the church hand raising all covered up goody two shoes moral person and the immoral club or smoker player hell raiser and all will come face to face with a holy, holy, holy God. Which means, surprise to Habakkuk and a lot of us in here, though the behavior among, bad behavior among God's people may have been a sign that they were no longer believing, good behavior, on the other hand, would not free or allow them to escape coming death and judgment. 
Oh, this is getting confusing. I know, we're going to straighten it out. Though cursing God may be a very good sign that God's people had fallen from grace, lip service and saying all the right things that were, that was not, that all the right things was still not an escape from the coming judgment of God either. Let me tell you something. Like them, we all deserve and have earned the right to be judged according to God, according to, by God, according to his righteous standard. Not the righteous standards we're hoping and asking that he will take. See, I think we go with God thinking, oh, I just hope he will accept this. Like, you've set up this contract with God that he hasn't set up. You know, like, oh, God, you know, if I go to church this many times, or I do this, or, or I'm not so bad, or, or I overcome this one sin in my life, or this one issue, or, or I get my money straight, or I do this. Now, I'm not trying to say any of those things are bad. Those are good. That's good grace. God is at work in some way. But to say, hey, look, God, here's my contract. I did this. I do this. Ha, I'm good, right? He would not allow Habakkuk to let people feel righteous and holy. holy. Listen, listen to what Habakkuk says. I, I want to I go back to this. He says, in that second part of verse 13, Why do you idly look at traitors and are silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? <laughs> right? He wouldn't let Habakkuk let people feel righteous or holy by comparing themselves to others due to Chaldean. And like the fish, he talks about the dragnet who are caught up together in a dragnet. I have a question. Who is righteous in and of themselves? No one. Who will face God's judgment and correction according to God's holy standard? Everyone. By all and any redeemed and chosen by God means necessary. Okay, we got through some of the hard part. Nobody in this room is going to pass through God's holy judgment in and of themselves. Y'all some good people, but not good enough. You're looking around, you're looking at TV, and you know, sometimes I think the television has a way, you know, looking at all the stuff with the, the sports guys and, uh, the, you know, the domestic violence and all those things. And, and then, you know, you get the talking heads and some of y'all going on like, I can't believe these people. Blah, blah. And, and, you know, sometimes, I, I want to warn you, sometimes it gives you a false sense of righteousness. Like, because you're not doing it. And you're like, God, get them. And what Habakkuk's finding out is, oh, Lord, we in the same net. Right? Now, I'm going to talk about living and not falling under God's death judgment for sin. But I think we, we are like the fish. We're all different types. Good fish, tasty fish, greasy fish, bottom feeders, right? <laughs> Farm-raised catfish. We're all kind of fish in here. I'm looking at y'all. Y'all look like some fish in here. And God's saying, look, I don't care what kind of fish you are. The net of my judgment is coming. How then will you live? And there is this interesting backhand of Habakkuk's statement about the dragnet in verse 16. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. What he, what he is saying without probably knowing he is saying is that the person ripe for God's judgment is the one who thinks they live in it according to their own goodness and power. Isn't that ironic? 
In fact, God repeats it this way in verse 4 in chapter 2. Hang with me here. Hang with me. Wake up. Hang with me. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright with him, but the righteous shall live by faith. He's contrasting two people. That, that it is the puffed up that will not find God's life. Okay, so, so hear me now, right? And puffed up can go both ways. Puffed up like the Chaldeans, hey, look, we're killing everybody. We're in charge. You know, let, let's grab everybody in every nation and rape everybody and pillage and do everything we can. Woohoo, we're God's. That's one puffed up. God don't like that. We'll see that next week, right? So, but there's the other puffed up, thinking that they do good enough to please God in their own strength and goodness. Wow. And we see this here. I'm going to get more into this in a second. But the idea is this contrast. This person is puffed up, and this one lives by faith, right? So, so the one, there's a contrast between living by faith and doing it yourself. And God don't like the puffed up. He rejects that, F. The one who comes to God, I got it together, F. In the fishnet. Into the toilet. Okay. Some of y'all think you're better than others because you don't struggle in the same ways or sin in the way, same ways as others do or, or do all these good things and others don't even know the difference between bad, between what is good or bad in here. I, but I can tell you this, you're both in the same net. Both are an affront to God's holiness and God will judge that. So longing for God's judgment and all the bad people so we good and better people can live better is not what Habakkuk or, or any of us in here should really want or long for. We shouldn't long for things to be worse out here so we feel better. You shouldn't look to make yourself feel better by looking how bad things are and how bad everybody else is compared to you. Because I think in our mind when we do that, we're sort of you know, subconsciously feeling like we're escaping God's judgment in some way because we stand as judge over other people in a moral way. You can't live on that. You know what we should be looking for? God's imminent salvation. And in this, this small, surprising verse, in verse 4, Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright with him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And that changes and should change all of our perspective. It is an answer to what Habakkuk says in verse 12 again. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. And the words he uses for my God and my Holy One means, God, you're the God of the covenant. He is the God who promised to save us and made a promise to Abraham and now to us. And that this God is my Holy One, which meant this. We are holy because our God is holy. We are his people and we're set apart and saved out of this world and separate from the Result of God's judgment because he has said and declared us holy because he adopted us. He made us his holy possession so we will not die. And God is saying the same thing in verse 4, that the one who is justified, the one who will survive the judgment and live, will survive it and be saved out of it and from his condemnation and death will do so. How? By faith. By believing not in what they can and have done to save themselves. 
and make God impressed. That's pompous and puffed up. But believing and trusting in what God has done to make them holy. And what and how did God make you holy? God chose to save your stink, broken, made up, faking the funk self. God made up in his mind to just be good to you. God chose to make you holy. God chose to be your God out of his goodness and according to nothing you did or could do to make him love you and save you. God was not impressed by how good you were or how good, you know, you might one day be, right? This ain't the NFL combine or draft. God's not looking to see how many catches you're going to make for his glory. It was by grace you are saved, by faith in him which means not and no longer having to do what is humanly what it humanly takes to avoid being judged and declared unrighteous but taking what God is doing to save us and give us life and righteousness so what are we looking for it should expect as we look out over this broken evil world what amazing thing is God coming with an amazing grace get this that anyone, see it flips now, right? Everybody deserves judgment and nobody's going to escape uh, God's holy standard of judgment. But get this, what amazing grace he's talking about by saying we live by faith is that anyone in any situation, under any kind of oppression and bondage and ignorance and struggle and badness and evil, even if it is on and was on the inside of them, even if they are the abuser and the unjust and the liar and deserving hell in the minds and eyes of all of society, they all can be saved by God. And they... And we can all, and are all the people of God, right? God is Adonai, he's Yahweh, the God that is touched and makes promises to who? Broken people, to sinners, to those who suffer and make others suffer. And because it is not the power and strength and goodness of anybody that saves, but it is God that saves. What should we expect? To see as we look out at the confusion and darkness around and even in us, we will see God save anyone. Anyone. Anywhere. You know what? Y'all should be happier because you're in the anyone category. I think sometimes some of you church people been there so long, you forgot you are in the anyone category. Uh, you should be surprised God saved you. I'm surprised. I'm surprised God's keeping me. Some of you church people need to be surprised God saved you and even more surprised that after he shows you your goodness, you're still acting up and he keeps you. In fact, the apostle Paul says this, I believe in the gospel right? The message of God's salvation for sinners through Jesus because of the power of God for salvation for the Jew and the Gentile, for the most holy but not holiness, the most evil but not too evil, to be saved by God's power. And God says what here in Habakkuk? Wait for it. It is coming. People everywhere and any kind of folk will be saved by my grace. 
God wants us to look at our world and know and declare that we only can make it by grace. That our power and goodness and own sense of what should happen and when does not, not, not save us, and it, but that our power and goodness will not save us or anyone. You. I'm talking to you church people again. Because y'all forgot. I do all the time. You would be lost, and what's that famous book? Left behind. God wouldn't put you in left field. He'll put you left out. And left for death because of sin. If it were not, it would not be for the grace of God that says, the just those declared righteous by God himself will live, right? Habakkuk has only one side. We won't die. God says you will live and not die because of sin by faith, trusting that he alone is what makes you alive again. And nobody can stop that. Verse 4 in chapter 2 that says the righteous or just shall live by faith. And there's a debate here when it says live by his faith. Closing here. Is it, is it the faith of the righteous of me and you or our personal ability to believe in it says his faith? And yes, we are called to be made right by believing that God makes us righteous by his work and not ours. But also this is being, being, being made righteous by his, as in not ours, but God's faith. God's faithfulness. This is good news, people. This is good news. I'm tired of trying to be good enough for God to love me. I hope you're tired of trying to prove yourself to God. Trying to be your own faith. Christianity is not a religion as folk have come to connotatively define it. This is us watching and praising and responding to God's faith. And you know what you call responding and praising and being in awe of God's faith? Faith. <laughs> you don't have the scripture in your morning verse. I, I thought I, it was in here. But verse 5 says in chapter 2, Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as hell. Like death, he has... Never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own, his own all peoples, right? Who is he? Of course, it's the evil man, right? But also I believe he's our God, our Redeemer. For them, the coming Redeemer, Jesus. That Jesus came to gather out from the world all nations and people. And it calls us to reread. I'm going to do another paraphrase this week, y'all. <laughs> I did it twice. I'm, I'm, I'm going to write my own Bible. Uh, verse, uh, chapter. Um, anyway, so I'm going to get in trouble paraphrasing everything. But look at verse 14 through 17 when Habakkuk complains about these evil people gathering all the folk without thought about who it is just gathering all and glorying in themselves. Think about it this way. When we think about the fact that God is coming to save anyone, mankind lives like the fish of the sea, like crawling things because they believe they have no ruler. 
He brings all types and nations of them up with a hook because they wouldn't come on their own. They think they are fine, though they swim in dangerous waters. So God drags them out with his net away and out of death. He gathers them in his dragnet, in his arms, and he rejoices and is glad that he's got them. Therefore, we praise the Lord for salvation, for by him we live in the fullness of hope, and our lives are rich, and he keeps on filling his net with those who are lost and mercifully promises to save all kinds of people from all kinds of nations and from all kinds of problems forever. Jesus told his disciples that he will make them fishers of humankind. And faithful to that, Jesus promises to us sometimes violent to our us means, hooks and dragnets of God's imminent judgment to gather us and save us from destruction and bring us into eternal life. You will not get away from him. You will not get off the hook and lost in the deep swirling darkness of the waters if you are and will be his own people. And as verse 3 says, if it seems slow, oh, people of God, don't turn back to a moral way of living. Oh, I know it's hard when you see evil. You just want to say, forget God. Or you know what? I'm just going to try to make things better on my own. I'm going to try to make my own way. The Lord says in verse 3, it may be slow, but wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. In this way, it is not you who will change things by looking out for God ultimately. But through Jesus, God is looking out for people like you and me. Look out for God to look out for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are caught in the hook, on the hook, the dragnet of your grace, which just, just goes to the fact that you're